Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Roll Red Roll is a true crime thriller that goes behind the headlines to uncover the deep-seated and social media-fueled boys-will-be-boys culture at the root of high school sexual assault. The story takes place in the small town of Steubenville, Ohio. A heinous crime takes place, the assault of a teenage girl by members of the beloved high school football team. What transpires would attract national attention. With that, we're joined today by the director of this remarkable documentary called Roll Red Roll, and that would be Nancy Schwartzman. Nancy, welcome to Film School. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Very welcome. Uh, this was a story that I do remember sort of percolating up in the news and hearing about it, and as most people of conscience were horrified at this sort of the broad outlines of the of the uh what was detailed in the in the stories of what had happened to this young woman, and then it sort of sort of uh, faded from view, went back into the, the the context of the community in which it happened in, and that was it. Now, where what sort of piqued your interest in this story, and at what point did you decide I want to make a, a film about it? Yeah, um, I heard about the film. Uh, I heard about the story um, when it broke in the New York Times. So kind of when everybody started to hear about it. Um, and honestly, my first thought was like, okay, this is happening everywhere. It was actually my dad who brought me to New York Times. It was over Christmas break, and I was like, oh, thank God I'm taking a holiday from work. I don't want to think about anything. And he kind of like dropped the New York Times in front of me and said, look what's happening in Ohio. And my thought was like, dad, this is happening everywhere. Like, why is this different, A? Why are you suddenly paying attention? Oh, look, the world is... is sort of finally taking notice um, because I had been really aware of this kind of stuff. My first film is a 25-minute short called The Line, which was about sexual consent and really, like, talking to young people and with my campaign, like, really aware of what was happening for kids and, like, what rape culture looked like, even if that's not what we were calling it. But what did, you know, pique my interest with Steubenville was, was not just that social media was used, but the language that was being used in the social media and, and the kind of impunity that boys were behaving, and it was so public and it was so entitled that I was chilled. I mean, really, when you look at the language that's in the social media that we put in the film mm-hmm. and later the text messages I was able to use, it really shines a light on what happens when this boys will be boys kind of goes unchecked. Um, when nobody is intervening to say, like, wow, this is not how you should talk about people, and this is not, if, if a woman or a young girl is in distress, this is not what you do. Um, you do actually quite the opposite. Um, so that social media piece was a window into perpetrators. Um, I had been thinking about making a film, another one about gender-based violence, but I thought this would have to be about men, men who commit rape because there's no way we can understand this issue and get deeper into it and shift it if we're not looking at how they're doing it, how they're talking about it, and why. Like, why is it enabled? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what caught my eye Mm -hmm. at the beginning. Well, the town of Steubenville, Ohio, as is pointed out, the home of Dean Martin, 
um, it, it seems like a community that it's not a huge community, and it's a, in a part of Ohio that, in my limited exposure to that part of the country, feels like it's very much a fairly close knit community and one that has also suffered the consequences of the deindustrialization of America. So there are a, a lot of sort of uh, there's, I would imagine, I'm just, I'm sort of projecting here, and if, correct me if I'm wrong, there's a lot of sort of grievance sort of mentality that's going on, and, and understandable, I'm not trying to sh you know, blame people for feeling like they've been left behind in some way, and oftentimes in those environments, something like a high school football team that is very, very good will take on an extraordinary level of importance. Yeah. Is, does that sound right? In that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Steubenville is 45 minutes from Pittsburgh. And if you think about the name of their football team, it's the Pittsburgh Steelers, yeah. right? And that's steel country. The whole area is um, football country and also steel country. So absolutely. It's a Rust Belt town. It had beautiful big mills that, um, you know, gave everybody jobs. And I was told by many in town that, you know, you would leave high school and you didn't need to go to college because you could just go to the mill and get a job and that might have, you know, really prioritized that kind of work and, like, l put less emphasis on the arts or other other directions to go in. But when that all left, um, it really left people pretty shattered, right? It's like a whole way of life, um, a whole guarantee that you could have a middle-class life and work with your dad in the mill. Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. So I just, I always found it interesting, too, to just point out that, the Pittsburgh football team is called the Steelers. Yeah. I that links it up. Well, what was it like when you entered town, when you started approaching some of the people involved in the story of Roll, Red, Roll? How, how, how was that? How were you welcomed? Were you, did you have to, what was that sort of process like? Um, I would say it was a pretty delicate process. We're on, you know, the film, film school radio. So as a woman director, I made sure that my crew looked more like uh, folks in the town, right? So I made sure I had a awesome Midwestern cinematographer who's based in New York, but his roots are in Indiana. Mm -hmm. um, my producer from England, which I was a little worried about. I was like, oh, gosh, you're going to have an accent. <laughs> um, but everyone actually loved, they loved British people, thank God. Um, and he was quite welcomed and very charming, and it was nice to have him there as a foil. But... I was very careful, like I, I couldn't have three-woman crew, you know, I had to be pretty, kind of try to blend as much as I could, yeah. and it really just took a lot of time, it took a lot of time to figure out the dynamics of the town, and who could help unlock other people, and, you know, going to city council meetings was really helpful, staying at the local one bed and breakfast instead of the chain hotels outside of town, like staying at the local place was a way for me to chat with the innkeeper. Like, who's the innkeeper in this town? And and what are the other business owners I should know about? And I started to learn, like, business owners have a big stake in a small town. Um, so who are they? Like, and are they, how are they impacted by the rape? So my first sort of vehicle in, in a way, was to really listen to people talk and understand that there are people who really care about the town who are trying to rebuild it in general post the industrialization mm -hmm. and the rape and the media really negatively impacted everybody. So even if people weren't outraged 
necessarily in the way we want them to be about the rape, many people were negatively impacted by it and were really hurt. So when I had grown men well up with tears when speaking to me about how the reputation of the town had been destroyed and how they had built their whole life in it, you know, that's very moving. And um, so I spent I spent time there kind of gathering those stories and then figuring out who who was thawing to me a little bit if I, you know, kept showing up. You know, you become like the pesky filmmaker, like, oh, well, she's at the basketball <laughs> game, and there she is at the Christmas parade, and yeah. you're like, yep, I'm here. You know, I am documenting your town. I'm not just breezing in, telling a terrible story, pointing fingers and leaving. Like, yeah. I'm, I really want to show how this town functions and what it does and its traditions and stuff like that as much as I can as well. You know, so yeah. there's a lot of, yeah, that kind of approach. Well, and let me say, in, in sort of along those same lines, and that is the film is very fair. It's very, it's a very, uh, it's not dispassionate because I I do feel the passion and it comes through in the people that you talk to. But at the same time, I think everyone has a fair hearing in in their perspective on what happened and why. Uh, but there are a couple of key people in the film that are are critical. And I, I, I'm Alexandria, um, mm-hmm. and I'm going to make sure I say her last name correctly. Is it Alexandria Goddard? Who, uh, um, or Goddard. Goddard. Yeah. Okay. I went French on you there. I'm sorry. Al- Alexandria <laughs> Goddard, who, who, is a, who is a blogger. And we, we, there is a reveal down the line in the film that I'm not going to give away here. But she is, a, she is a woman who spends a lot of time on social media. And when she heard about it, she sort of her antenna went up and she started doing some investigative work. And there's Rachel Dissell, um, mm-hmm. or Dissell who is the investigative reporter who's sort of outside the area, but at the same time starts to take a more active interest. Were those two of the, and also the detective, Detective J.P. Rigaud? Rigaud. Mm-hmm. Rigaud. Uh-huh. Yep. Thank, thank you for <laughs> you for your help. Uh, <laughs> so I, I assume that these were sort of key people for you to, to find and to sort of cultivate these relationships with. Absolutely. Alex was, um, you know, my first phone call with her was like, oh, wow, she is, really kind of the key to the story um her research her diligence her her sass you know she's such a great character too um but i trusted her right and she trusted me but ultimately there were a lot of like rumors flying around and a lot of people when anonymous got involved who were kind of caught up in the excitement and alex was always like very no nonsense she does not mess with the truth so she's someone. She's a she's a reliable narrator. She was a reliable narrator for me, and working with her. And there were some other survivor ladies who are not in the film in this film, but um, who connected me. There was sort of like web of women who were helping each other, and Rachel DeSalle was one of them. So getting to Rachel was incredible because she's so smart and she's such a good reporter. But she also doesn't suffer fools. So Rachel's not going to give me all this information if I don't already know it. So I had to, like, really do my homework um, with her, which I appreciated quite a bit in terms of, like, I've done all the research I can with what is publicly available. These are all the people I've spoken to. I need more. Yeah. You know, then Rachel would determine whether or not I could have a piece of information or not. You know, so it was, like, a very careful vetting process. We were all sort of vetting each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and J.P. Rigaud is a terrific investigator, 
in this case, but I didn't get to him until very late mm. because I needed to make sure that I had all of my ducks in a row and all of my facts in the case. So I didn't even go to him for an interview until I had obtained the police interviews mm-hmm. to piece together the three parties, the various testimonies, the timestamps, the A, B, and C. Because mm-hmm. if I'd gone to him before that with just a bunch of questions like, what happened? Mm-hmm. Who was there? Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody appreciates that. It's like, I'm not doing the work for you. So all of those folks really, mm-hmm. you know, pushed. Everyone on, on some level was open, but also like very much a closed door. And you had to know exactly the questions to ask to get the doors open. Well, that's understandable given the circumstances and the notoriety and the, and the notorious and heinous, mm-hmm. you know, uh, nature of the crimes that were were committed. I want to remind our listeners we're speaking with Nancy Schwartzman. She is the director and producer of the film Roll, Red, Roll. It opens up here in Los Angeles on April 5th. I haven't really spent a lot of time talking about the sort of the crime itself. And let's mm-hmm. let's talk about the unnamed um, victim in in this uh, in this crime. Let's talk about what happened. It's sort of more in broad details, the, the night of, if you will, the, that it happened. Basically, um, you know, this case was the first rape case to go viral in the U.S. And why that happened was because there were photos and videos um, taken and anonymous. The hacking was broken and, and really, like, pushed those images around the world and um, they were not explicit images but they gave you a sense of like what was happening and how nobody cared um, so there was just there were just multiple witnesses to this event and there were several parties and kind of a trail of digital evidence at each party giving you a little bit of insight of what happened at the first party and then a little bit of insight of what happened at the second and then eventually there was a third party where there were le- far less people there and a far um, yes and Yes. Yeah. So that's where, you know, what we use to tell that story are um, police interviews with witnesses and bystanders, um, including some in the room during the assaults. We use text messages. Um, there were 400,000 to go through from the prosecutor's file. So text messages to sort of give you that in the moment back and forth that the kids were doing. And then the tweets and social media that told the larger story of how everyone was bragging about it, um, whether or not they were true or used as evidence in the courtroom, it was more that sort of the cultural layer of what happened. It you know, shocks the conscience. That's an easy thing to say. But yeah. but in in a way that, that this, this film comes across, it is so, it's so organic the way the story unfolds. And it's Thank so, it, yeah, and it's so... Um, it, it, it's for this sort of the story and the ramifications of it kind of envelop you by the end of the film it's it's just it's hard to not reflect on the on the the culture we live in and I, yeah. this is not a screen on young people who are online all the time it's not that yeah. there's something yeah. more sinister and embedded in our in the way that we behave yeah. that is it and this film feels like a visceral punch in that you know in that regard. I, I don't know if I'm doing a very good job of articulating this, but that's sort of how it feels. It, well, Nancy, it looks like we've just about run out of time. I want to thank you so much for being here. Again, the film is called Roll, Red, Roll, and we've been speaking with the director and producer, Nancy Schwartzman. Nancy, thank you so much for being here today on Film School. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. 